very appropriate for any time, but especially right now. I, I have prayed this week about what God would have me say here today, and after several different starts, this is where we settled, and I feel like this is the direction that God is leading me today. So if you'll give me just a few minutes of your time, um, I have something for us today. In John chapter 17, we read that after Jesus had finished talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, that he began to pray. Bible commentator Matthew Henry describes a scene like this, and I'll quote Matthew Henry. He said, it was a prayer after a sermon when he had spoken from God to them, he turned to speak to God for them, end of quote. Let me say that again. It was a prayer after a sermon, and when he had spoken from God to them, he turned to speak to them, to God for them. In this prayer, Jesus prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and all of his future followers. With that, let's go to John chapter 17. I want to read verses, verse 9, verse 11, and then verses 15 through 19. And this is Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. Now I am departing from this world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you, are, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. <clears throat> Here's where the, the prayer starts to involve and include us. Jesus knew that although he would be leaving this world soon, at this point when he's talking to his followers, he knew that his followers would continue to live in the world. And because of the opposition he knew they would face, Jesus prayed, Father, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. The NIV says that Jesus prayed, Father, keep them so they may be as one as we are. Notice that Jesus didn't pray for the disciples to be taken out of the world. That wasn't his prayer. But instead, he prayed that they would be protected as they went out into the world and that they would be united as one. Then in verse 17, Jesus prayed that the disciples would be sanctified or made holy by the truth, clarifying that the truth he spoke of was the word of God. He went on to say in verse 18 that just as he had been sent into the world, he in turn was sending the disciples into the world. That hasn't changed. That is still our calling. We too are his disciples. We too are called to be as one, to work together in unity. And we too are called to be sanctified or made holy by the word of God. And finally, we too are called to go out into the world and spread the gospel of Christ. That's our calling. 
Jesus knew the only way that the disciples could stand against the things that would come against them was if they were in one mind, if they had one mission, and if they had one purpose. And that's what I want us to, to title this sermon today, United in Christ, United in Mission, United in Purpose. Once again, that hasn't changed either. We are called to be of one purpose, one mission, and one mind, so we too, and as a church, a community of followers of Christ, so that we too can go out into the world and proclaim the good news of salvation to lost humanity. Unity of believers is the only way that we can effectively accomplish the task of reaching the world. It's the only way it's going to happen. I'm not saying we have to or should agree with or accept everything that comes along in the name of religion. I don't believe that. I'm not saying that we should tell people, just believe anything you want, just believe it with all your heart, and you'll be just fine. You'll be saved. No, not at all. I don't believe that. But I am saying that we need to pray for and support the ministries that are teaching and preaching the Word of God. Jesus said in verse 17, he said, your word is truth. That means that not everything or everyone who calls themselves a minister, what they say is truth. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it is not truth. That's why Jesus was very clear when he said, the Word of God is truth. Jesus didn't say that, that my opinions or your opinions or anyone else's opinions were truth. He said, the Word is truth. He said the word of God is truth, and that means all of the word of God, not just the parts we like to quote, in an effort to back our opinion or our particular doctrinal beliefs. The entire word of God is truth. And let me add this, contrary to what some people in some churches believe and teach, there is no single organization or denomination that has cornered the market on truth. Truth is still found in the same place that it was found in when Jesus prayed in verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It's not found in an organization. It is not found in a denomination. Truth is found one place, and that is in the word of God. John 17, verses 20 through 24. Jesus continued to pray. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Now, he's saying, not just the disciples, but everyone who hears this message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Are you starting to see a pattern here? I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I think it's very important that we realize that Jesus' prayer here was just as much for us today, for us at High Point Church, as it was for those in attendance when he made this prayer. 
Jesus' prayer was for those who would believe in him through the message they preached. That message was the gospel. And that would include us if we have believed in Jesus through the same message. That means that prayer is for us. It also means that the unity that he prayed for in verse 21 is just as important for us today as it was in the day of his disciples. Jesus said that when the world saw this unity among believers, it would show them the love of Christ. Jesus knew that the unity of believers could be a powerful witness to the world of the reality of God's love. Why would anyone want the spirit we say we have if we're always at war with those who are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ? I've heard people stand in the pulpit and spend more time speaking ill of the church across town than they spend speaking ill of the devil. Who wins there? The writer Charles H. Brent said this. He said, the world is too strong for a divided church. The devil is a master of divide-and-conquer tactics, and he has used it very effectively in churches for decades. He's probably used it in churches since he was here on earth, since Jesus was here on earth. If we claim to be full of the Spirit and claim that we are walking in truth, we love those little phrases, don't we? But if we claim to be full of the Spirit and walking in truth, and yet we don't demonstrate unity so that the world can see the love of Christ through us, then we are going against the very teaching of Jesus. Jesus knew this was likely to happen, and that's why he prayed for us. I have to believe that that is why he specifically prayed for unity among his followers, and that includes us today. So let's pause and, and define unity so that we're all on the same page here. Unity can be defined as the state of being one, being united or combined into one as the parts of a whole. Christian unity should be and must be Christ-centered and God-glorifying. In other words, we must be united in Christ Remember Jesus' words in verse 20. He said, I am not praying just for those disciples who are right here in front of me, but I'm also praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And again, that means us. This unity he spoke of did not have an expiration date. It was for those who were with him on that first day. It was with for those who they would reach personally on their, in their time on earth. And it was for everyone who was hearing this sermon today. The unity that Jesus prayed for is not limited to the five or ten favorites we have in our cell phone. It's not qualified according to age, income, skin color, or issues of personal taste. I believe that Jesus' prayer was that there would be unity in the church between young and old, rich and poor, Black and white, white collar and blue collar, those who like traditional music in church, those who like southern gospel, and those who like contemporary music. Unity among everyone. And not only a prayer for unity, I believe this was also a prayer against anything that would cause us to choose sides and not be in unity. The unity that Jesus prayed for, for us, was a unity that would remove anything that would stand in our way of us going out and being a light 
to a dark world. Look what Paul wrote in Ephesus chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Just there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That phrase, make every effort, means it might not be easy. If he thought it would be easy, he wouldn't have said put effort into it. But make every effort to be in unity. It means that in spite of differences of opinions, and I will tell you as long as we're dealing with people, there will be differences of opinion. And you know what? That's okay. But in spite of those differences, we are to be united as believers through the blood of Jesus Christ that is applied to our lives and through the Spirit that lives in us. These are things that we as believers share in. Now I will tell you that there are false types of unity. Unity is not simply a mutual agreement. One false type of unity is the unity of organization. Some people feel because they belong to a certain church or a certain organization that they automatically must be unified. Obviously, those people have never been to a national meeting of some religious organizations. They know better. Getting together under the title of an organization does not guarantee unity. Calling ourselves by a certain name does not guarantee unity. As we said earlier, Churches and religious organizations have been hotbeds of disunity for decades. Church splits, hard feelings, people who quit going to church because somebody painted the bathroom a color they didn't like. They didn't like the color of the carpet in the nursery and on and on and on. And then some silly church people wonder why people didn't want to be a part of that. There was a man who had been marooned on a desert island for 10 years. When finally a ship that was passing by saw his signal and they sent a rescue party to the island to, to pick him up. When they got there, they saw three huts and they asked him, are you here by yourself? And the man said, yes. They said, well, then what are the three huts for? He said, well, that one's where I live. That one's where I go to church. They said, well, what's that one? Well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> I have to believe those rescuers probably shook their heads like people in the world do far too many times and thought, I'm glad I'm not a part of his church. We cannot act like that and then hope to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish in the world. We must be united in Christ, united in our mission to share the gospel to the whole world. And unless we are united in purpose, we will never do that. Another false form of unity is unity, uni, unity of conformity. 
This is the type of unity that some churches seek today. At many churches, you walk in and everybody looks exactly the same. Everyone is about the same age. They make about the same amount of money. They're all from the same ethnic group. In fact, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King noted that Sunday morning was the most segregated time in America. I praise God that that's not the case here at High Point Church. But still, can we say that we as a church, that we as a community of believers are unified? You ever had a, a doctor or a nurse say to you right before they do something, say, um, this might sting a little. And we all know what happens next. It doesn't sting a little, it hurts. And I mention that because what I'm going to say next might sting a little. I want to read verse 23 again. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. My question today is, do the people in the Brandon-Valrico area look at High Point Church and say to themselves, I see the unity that those people have. I see the love that they show to one another. And if they love that way, then I want to be a part of that because that's the kind of love that their Jesus has shown to them. I want what they have. So what kind of unity reaches to such an incredible extent? It is the unity of love. And I'm talking about just love for ourselves. When we love others, when we put when we put others first, and it's not all about me. Things will be different. And I say that because when we love ourselves and when we put ourselves first, when everything has to be about me, it leads to division. But true Christianity will lead to love and unity of purpose. There will always be those at High Point Church who might do things a little differently than you do. They might even look a little different than you do. But our hearts need to be joined and our paths need to be the same. Because when it's all said and done, more than anything else, we should want the world to see and experience the glory of God. And if we can't be unified, why would they want to be a part of who we say we are? Now, before someone gets the wrong idea here this morning, let me clarify some things. Okay? I'm not saying that when it comes to salvation and living a life that glorifies Christ that you can just believe anything you want, live any way you want, and you're fine. I'm not saying that. Because the Bible is clear what is required for salvation. The Bible is clear what is required in order to live a life that glorifies God. 
So just in case someone is not clear what we as a church believe, let me clarify that. We believe that the Bible is very clear that we were all sinners. And as sinners, there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. And because of that, according to John 3.16, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. He was God in the flesh. In other words, he was God with skin on. He came to earth, Jesus came to earth, and willingly laid down his life. He shed his blood so that our sins could be washed away. And if we will come to him in sincere repentance, like we talked about last week, our sins will be forgiven, never to be remembered against us again. Everybody with me so far? Okay. We believe that the Bible is clear that once we have repented, we should be baptized. We also believe that the promise of the Holy Spirit is there, and the Holy Spirit will work in and through us to make us a new creation and to make us into the person who no longer lives the way we used to live before we came to Christ. But instead, now we live a life that glorifies him. I said that to say this. If you come to me and say, Pastor David, I was reading my Bible the other day, and I saw in Luke 24 that after Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples. And I read that his disciples offered him fish, and he ate it. So since I read that in the Bible, I feel that God has spoken to me that I need to eat fish to go to heaven. If you come to me and tell me that, I will probably say something like this. I don't see it that way. I don't see it that you need to eat fish to go to heaven. But let me ask you this. Now, I'm serious. Stay with me here. Do you believe that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves? Do you believe that John 3.16 says that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us? Do you believe that God, that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he was God in the flesh, God with skin on, that he came to earth and willingly laid down his life, shed his blood so that our sins could be washed away? And if we will come to him in sincere repentance, our sins will be forgiven, never to be remembered against us again. Do you believe the Bible tells us that we should be baptized? Do you believe that we have the promise of the Holy Spirit that will work in and through us to make us a new creation? And if your answer at that point is yes, then my next response will be, enjoy your fish. <laughs> Followed by, but don't go around telling everyone else that they have to eat fish to go to heaven. Okay? Okay? You see, while we have to believe what the Bible says, we don't have to agree on every other little thing in order to be in unity. If you want to eat fish, if you feel like God has called you to eat fish, and that's a personal conviction in your life, then you need to eat fish. But don't go to somebody else and tell them they have to do the same thing. Well, now you're just meddling. No, I'm not. I'm being a pastor. 
we don't have to agree on every little thing. We have to believe the word of God. Remember what Jesus prayed? He said that they would believe the truth, which is the word of God. We have to do that to be in unity. Now, again, let me go a little bit further. I believe there is a certain lifestyle that we as followers of Christ need to live. We are called to be unified as believers, but we are also called to remain separate from the world in the way we live. Jesus ate with sinners, but he did not sin with them. You see, unity is a process of being loved by God and then loving God and then loving like God. Let me say that again. Unity is a process of being loved by God. He loved us when we weren't lovable. And because of his love to us, then we love him. And then when we have done that, then we go and we love others like we have been loved. This is the kind of unity that will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Why would the world want to have anything to do with people or a church who claims to be loved by God, who claims to love God, and then live in a way where it seems they can barely tolerate each other? I wish this place was full this morning. The message the world needs to hear is not one of health, wealth, and prosperity. The world needs to hear a message of being joyful and being free from the bondage of sin and death. The world needs nothing to do with people or a group of people or a church who claim to know all about forgiveness and yet they hold grudges and refuse to forgive. But I will tell you what will happen. The world will stand up and take notice when we walk in holiness, when we walk in joy, when we love sacrificially, in a way that Christ is central, and in a way that God is glorified. And when I say holiness, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about what color shirt you wear or how you comb your hair or what kind of shoes you wear. That's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about being holy in the way we live being holy in the way we act toward God and being holy in the way we act toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not just there, but being holy in the way we act to people we come in contact who are not believers. Striving for unity is all about how we act toward those who don't look, act, dress, or even smell like us. Striving for unity is how we act towards those who differ from the way that we think, even toward those who dif differ from the way we interpret the Bible. Even if we completely disagree with someone on how they interpret the Bible, there is not a commandment in the Bible for us to be a jerk about it. And here's why. Because being a jerk about it will certainly not convince them of their error. It will only convince them that they don't want to be like you. You can say, ouch, because it's the truth. 
Be assured that our salvation does not come through any deeds that we've ever performed. Isaiah 64, 6 lets us know that all of the righteousness we could muster up is equivalent to nothing more than filthy rags. And since our righteousness stinks, we are given the righteousness of God. And this is the thing that will unify us. No program, no certain type of ministry or certain worship style will unify us. It won't happen that way, y'all. But this is certain. When we have a common, passionate pursuit of righteousness, that will bring us together. Our goal as a church must be to become unified as one in Christ, unified in our mission to share the gospel, and unified in purpose as we work together to do just that. We must be that church that is studying God's Word together in order to know more of Christ. And when we do that, we'll grow in unity. We must be that church that is worshiping together. And when we do that, we will move toward God together, and that means we'll be operating in unity. You know what that requires, both of those? It, it means being here. Bible study is important. There are things that happen in Bible study that we learn where we can discuss it and we can talk about it and we can, we can ask questions and hear different opinions from other people who are here on, at Bible study. And we learn what the Bible says. That's why we call it Bible study. It's important. But if we will study the Word of God together, if we will come together and worship together, you will find that we will find more unity. When these things and other things like them happen, it is then that the world will know that Christ has come to love us. They will know that we love the Lord and we love each other. And not just there. It doesn't just stop there. They'll know that we also love them. Division in churches, among churches, organizations, doesn't just hurt our unity and the atmosphere of the church. Those divisions spray big graffiti-like curse words over the story of God's love. But when we are unified, it puts the spotlight on the cross. It says to those onlookers that we are brothers and sisters, but don't look at us. Look with us at the lame, lamb that was slain so that we could be made righteous. Ultimately, what Jesus wants most for all of us is not for us to live for him just so we can have, as the old song says, a mansion just over the hilltop. Ultimately, what Jesus wants for us is not for us to live for him just so we can walk on streets of gold. It's not even just so we can see grandma or our sweet little dog Fluffy and our cat mittens. No. Instead, here's what it's about. According to verse 24, Jesus wants us to be in heaven so that we can see his amazing glory in all its fullness. 
Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. You see, this is the end result of unity that Jesus prayed for in the 17th chapter of John for his disciples, for those they witnessed to, and for us today, and for all of those with whom we will go and share the gospel. Through the unity that we have in God and with each other, we can point a lost and dying world to the glory of Jesus Christ. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He didn't say, everyone will know you're a disciple of mine because you all look alike. He didn't say, everyone will know you're a disciple of mine because you, you like all the same things. He didn't even say, you, everyone will know you're a disciple of mine because you completely agree with one another on every point in the Bible. He said, everyone will know you're a disciple of mine because you love one another. There is more than enough hatred in the world. So why would anyone want to follow after a Jesus whose disciples don't love each other? So why do we need unity? Here's why. There will always be differences in personalities. There will always be differences in the way we do things. Difference in our, differences in our preferences for certain things. But if we want to see people come to Christ, we must be unified in our love for God. We must be unified in our love for one another. We must be unified in our love for those who don't know Jesus. We must be unified in our commitment to share the gospel with everyone who has never heard that Jesus loved them so much that he gave his life for them. In short, we must be united in Christ, united in mission, and united in purpose. If you are here today and you say or thinking, maybe you haven't actually said it out loud, yeah, I hear you. I'm not forgiving that person. Then I would ask, what part of this did you not understand? We cannot call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ and hold grudges. We don't have to agree on every little point you might not like my shirt I'm wearing today. You know what? That's okay. 
might not like yours. But I'll still pray with you. I'll still pray for you. I'll still be your pastor. I'll still love you. When we let stuff come between us, we will never see happen what we say we want to see happen at High Point Church. And that is to see unpeople, unsaved people walk through the door and be saved. Because why would they want to be a part of something that's just as hateful as what they walked in from? In case you're wondering, nobody has come to me and said anything. So if I'm talking to you today, it's not because I know something. If I'm talking to you today, be assured. Be assured I'm talking to me too. We can all do better. love you guys I would do anything in the world for y'all but more than anything what I want us to be is unified in Christ I want us to be united in our mission and I want us to be united in purpose and when we do that when we get to the place to where we are in unity on those things, it is then and only then that God will do the things at High Point Church that we have been expecting, the things we've prayed for. I'm still believing that we're going to see this place full and running over. You say, well, you're just dreaming. No. I'm not. I believe God has shown me that. But we can't get there we can't get there if we're not all working in the same direction. Think for a moment that we're all in a big giant canoe, okay? Everybody's got a paddle, and it's a big canoe. We all need to be doing this. Because if we're all doing this, you know what's happening? We're all going that way. But what happens too many times in that big giant canoe we call church As you get somebody that gets a little unhappy and they don't like that person that's two paddles up from them, so they start doing this. What does it do? It slows the boat down. And maybe they just don't like anybody in the whole boat, 
So they just put their paddle in the water and hold it steady. You know what that does? It can bring it to a stop. Everybody else can paddle away. And what they've done right here, just put the brakes on. So which way are you paddling? I will tell you this. If you're going to paddle this way, or you're going to put your paddle down like this, maybe just take a break for a while and just put your paddle in the boat. And while you're waiting, spend some time in prayer. That a God will show you how to use your paddle. talking to me too, y'all. I think there's times that God would like to pull the boat over and take a paddle to a couple of us. <laughs> Some of y'all just got that. This is what I'm saying to us today. Every one of us have a call. It's not the same. Each of us have a different call in our lives. But whatever our call is, the call is to be in unity with one another. We cannot be stopped as a church if we are united in Christ, if we are united in mission, and if we are united in purpose. The devil's biggest tool is division. We're not going to let that happen, y'all. We're going to go forward. We're going to accomplish things that glorify God. Would you stand this morning? As we sing, I'm going to open these altars up. If you need to come and pray, if you want to come and pray, if you want to come and say, Lord, I've, I've just, I haven't been doing it right. I need you to pray that, or just bless me that I can get my paddle right. If you want to come and pray, I'm going to urge everyone to come and pray this morning. If there is something in your heart that shouldn't be there, ask God to take it away. If there are feelings for someone that shouldn't be there, I'm going to ask today that you not only Ask God to take it away. Make it right. Make it right with that person. If you have to call him, call him. I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again. When I was in college, there was a, there was a young man. His name was Garrett. And I didn't like Garrett. I don't know why. I didn't know why then. But I didn't like him. One night we were in church, and it was one of those times when everybody was praying. The choir was singing. The preacher wasn't even preaching. But everybody was just praying all around the building. And the Holy Spirit was just coming down in such a, a powerful way and, and, and just touching lives. 
And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to go apologize to him. And I walked over to Garrett and I said, and we went to school together, college, and I said, I, I just, I got to tell you something. I don't like you and I don't know why. And I have no reason for that. And because of that, I want to apologize. My heart's not right on that. And he said, you know what? I felt the same way. There was division between us, and neither one of us really knew why. It was probably on preconceived things or something we had heard. But none of it was true. And we prayed together that night. We forgave each other. We changed the way that we thought of each other, and we became friends. This was over 40 years ago. I had never had a pair of cowboy boots. He gave me a pair of cowboy boots. I still have them. I have never forgotten that. He became my friend because I was willing to go say, I'm wrong. We need to be willing to say I'm wrong if we're wrong. We need to be willing to forgive if we need to forgive. And a lot of times it will start at an altar asking God, show me what I need to do to get my heart right. As we sing, would you come and pray?